0: Did a demon possess a man and cause him to rampage through a maternity ward? And then we travel to Pakistan to take a look at the story of a young woman who left her house to go hang out with a friend. But when she came back home later that night, the entire family knew there was something off about her. And their suspicions were confirmed when a demon's voice came out of her mouth today on dead rabbit radio hey everyone welcome back to another episode of dead rabbit radio i'm your host jason carpenter i'm having a great day i hope you guys are having a great day too i hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing we got a lot of stuff to cover today, so we're going to get started right away. First off, walking into Dead Rabbit Command is one of the original Patreon supporters. Everyone get on your feet and give it up for Cantillions. Woohoo, yeah, come on in, buddy. Come on into Dead Rabbit Command. Cantillions, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. And I got to say this, for those of you who do support the Patreon, I appreciate it so much. I really, really do. Like, I don't make a lot of money. I don't make a lot of money in general. And with the Patreon money, man, like today I went grocery shopping and I was able to buy some new thermals and I got myself a new new little sweater and some and some food. Some food and some beef jerky and stuff like that. So your, your Patreon donations, they're being spent on not luxuries, right? They're being spent on necessities. And I really, really appreciate those of you who can financially support the show, because it means a lot to me. It really does mean a lot. Now, if you can't support the Patreon, I'm not shaming you at all. I'm not one of those podcasts. There's a lot of podcasts that do that, that shame people who don't give them money. It's one of the weirdest things in the world. I've stopped listening to podcasts. When they do that, a lot of them do. If you can't support the show financially, trust me, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. Tell your friends, tell your families. Print out some of the flyers we have in the show notes. Get the word out about Dead Rabbit Radio. That also helps out so much, and I appreciate that as well. I appreciate all of you, whether or not you support me financially or not, or whether or not you even spread the word, honestly. I still appreciate you guys for taking the time out to listen to some fun stories. Cantillions, let's go ahead and get this episode started. I'm going to go ahead and toss you the bunny bicycle. (laughs) Hope you can support an entire weight of a bicycle flying through the air towards you. Let's hop on the handlebars as Cantillions pedals us all the way out to Odessa, Texas. Weka, weka, weka. Weka, 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 I probably should spend some of my aging on money to oil the wheels of this bike. I'll put a baseball card in it next time. Maybe that'll be a better sound effect. We're headed all the way out to Odessa, Texas. It's October 3rd, 2022. And we're in the Odessa Regional Medical Center. That's where this story takes place. One of us fell off the handlebars. We're taking you into the ER. And while we're there, it's about 6.30 p.m. While a doctor is tending to your wounds, there's there's better news. There's better news than injuring somebody going on in this hospital. Marcus McCowan Jr. is about to be a daddy. Marcus McCowan Jr., him and his girlfriend have gone to this hospital. She's in labor. And he starts kind of walking around the area, just kind of pacing. People think, okay, you know, he's about to be a dad. He's probably super nervous. But then he walks up to the nurse's station and he grabs a nurse by the arm and he says something unintelligible. The nurse is is like, let go of me, let go of me, weirdo. You gotta leave, you can't be over here if you're gonna be grabbing the nurses. He then begins to run up and down the hospital hallway. And the nurses are like, what in the world is going on? Like They've seen people at all levels of stress up in this area. This guy is running laps, basically. What is this guy doing? And then there is a woman standing there, and she has her newborn baby in a little carrier, and she's waiting to get discharged. And Mark, the nurses observe all this stuff. The nurses are keeping an eye on Marcus because he's acting so weird, and they actually see this happen. they go, Marcus begins to stare at the baby. He's staring at that baby that the new mom is holding in this carrier. And he begins walking right towards the mother. And the nurses notice how focused he is on them. They're very, very nervous about what can happen because he's already so erratic. And then the mom, I don't know if she did this intentionally... I don't know if she knew Marcus was coming for. Her. I think she probably would have just left. She goes, I'll, I'll, I'll check out tomorrow. I'll check out tomorrow. I'll discharge myself. I don't know if the mom did this on purpose or just because she was moving about, but the mom kind of turns her body so now she's blocking the view of the baby. And it's like a light switch gets shut off in Marcus's brain. The nurses say he wants the view of the baby he couldn't see the baby anymore he literally just turned around and walked away he leaves the area he leaves the area the nurse is like okay whatever in the world that was the guy was running up and down the hallway why was he staring at that baby i don't know i don't even want to i don't even want to think about it let's just go back to being nurses so he walks away nurses go back to standing at the nurse's station And then a couple minutes later, they hear this boom, boom, boom. They hear this loud stomping. And they have to be thinking, what, what could that possibly be? I work in a hospital. I hear all sorts of horrid noises all the time. But I've never heard Godzilla. I've never heard a loud stomp. And so they look up, and Marcus is running full speed. He's running again. Full speed down this hallway, he runs past the nurse's station and now things are to 11, right? Because past the nurse's station is the maternity ward. You got row after row of little babies and those little plastic boxes that you see in movies. Or, Or if you're a parent, you saw in real life at a maternity ward. Rows and rows of babies safely locked behind the door. (laughs) The only People are supposed to get in there are nurses. And then, you know, parents. And I don't even know if they allow that anymore. It might be like an airport. You're not allowed right up to the baby anymore. But Marcus doesn't care. Marcus, (laughs) his girlfriend is giving birth in another room on the same floor. Marcus runs full bore past the nurse's station and begins to try to break down the door to the maternity ward. These nurses realize that no matter what happens, this lunatic... This guy is obviously insane. Like, at this point, they're trying to get a hold of security. They realize they probably should have done that a couple of minutes ago, but they can't let him get into the maternity ward. So a nurse runs up, and she's trying to pull him away from the door. He can't break in, too. He's giving it his best, and the door won't budge. But this nurse runs up to try to get him away from the door. He pushes her to the ground... And then continues to try to break in. But he can't. This door is so secure, he can't get in. Then, Marcus remembers. Yeah, there's a bunch of babies behind this door, but I'm pretty sure I saw a baby down this hallway. Now, <laughs> I'm going to tell you guys this right now. No babies die in this story. <laughs> Jason, you waited an awfully long time. You waited an awfully long time to tell us that. No babies die in this story. But he remembers, oh wait, I saw a baby down the hallway. So he leaves behind the maternity ward. He runs down the hallway and sees that woman holding the baby in the baby carrier. He snatches the baby out of the carrier in front of the mom. Runs into the lactation room, which is probably not as fun as it sounds, right? It's probably not a bunch of like mechanical boobs spraying milk on the floor, but one can wish. He runs in the lactation room with this baby, and a nurse is right on his heels. He is strangling a baby. The baby doesn't die. The baby doesn't die. The baby has no permanent injuries, but he was strangling this baby, and the nurse who followed him in is able to get the baby out of his arms. An insane person wouldn't even do this. Like, this does seem demonic. After strangling a baby, and I will will reiterate one more time, the baby is totally fine. After strangling a baby, he then runs out of the lactation room. (laughs) He has a big old glass of milk. He's like, oh, all the energy I'll need. Look, look, look. He runs out of the lactation room, runs back to the maternity ward, breaks in. He actually is able to Kick down or beat down the door this time. Now he's in a room full of a dozen babies. A respiratory therapist who was on the floor. I mean, at this point, you have to figure all the staff that's available is coming into this area. A respiratory therapist runs into the maternity ward. Marcus is strangling another baby. Marcus is strangling a baby. And he's shouting, die, die, at the baby. The respiratory therapist grabs the baby with one hand, is fighting Marcus with the other one, and they're actually starting to fall. And the respiratory therapist, this is all happening so quickly, has to figure out a way to fall with the baby, not on the baby. There's a big difference between the two. And save it from this strangling man. Respiratory therapist is falling with the baby, fighting with Marcus. Security shows up. They all are able to get this baby away from Marcus. The police show up. Then Marcus starts fighting the police officers in the middle of the hospital. They win that fight. They handcuff him, but even in handcuffs, twice he tried grabbing for an officer's gun. So that's the story of Marcus. Marcus, the baby strangler. He's, you know, facing. Some felony assault, federal uh, attempted murder, actually, I think are the charges. And he also got charged with possession of a controlled substance, a, a THC vape pen. He had a possession on him. You know, it's interesting. We're seeing a lot of cases of marijuana psychosis. I was reading an article the other day, and they were talking about a hospital in L.A. They now get more cases of psychosis caused by THC than they get crystal meth psychosis cases. I mean, they still get those, but they get a lot more marijuana psychosis. And they say that once you have once you have a psychotic break using this modern THC, the chances of you getting permanent full-blown schizophrenia are almost 100%. The, I'll put the articles in the show notes. I thought about doing a whole story on it, and I may in the future, but I just find it super fascinating. The weed that my generation used to smoke was like, 5, 10, 15%. And then nowadays you can get some of these vape pins up to 80, 90% THC with none of the CBD in them, and that helps counterbalance it. It's insane. But, you know, outside of the THC, outside of some sort of psychotic break, you also think, like, in any other time period in human history, this guy would be labeled a demon or demonically possessed. And while I understand why that's not part of the judicial system anymore i understand that right i understand why science has said well that's all superstition but at the end of the day like how else do you it... not just explain what happened and i think there's two different things one you could say it's a uh, demonic possession that caused him to do this and who knows how that started haunted hospital <laughs> maybe was this an abandoned spooky hospital that his girlfriend went to give birth was it a demon? Was it a solar plexus clown glider? Was it he did have some sort of psychotic break and then the demons came in? It does, or does it not have anything to do with demons as we know them, but yet we can still label it a demonic act? You know, I think just at a certain point you have to go, this is the act of not just a crazy person, This is an, this is the act of an evil person. And why was he doing it? Why was he doing it? Why was he trying to strangle babies so hard that he was trying to break down doors? Like, it, it, demonic possession may be, but definitely a demonic act. Fascinating story. It's super scary. Longtime listeners of the show know... The stories where people are seemingly normal and then they just flip out. Those are the scariest things to me. Because At the end of the day, we don't know. Sometimes they have a lifelong history of mental illness <laughs> and that's not too scary to me. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry for him and his family, but that's not super spooky. They're like, sorry, sorry, sir. Next time I'll make my life trauma more spooky. Just being normal and then all of a sudden just strangling babies. Like, terrifying. Did he even know what he was going through? Did he have such a break from reality he thought he was like buying Laffy Taffy I don't know and that's what makes it so spooky terrifying story we'll see what comes of it but you know what I've learned doing this podcast the media will probably unless there's something truly bizarre the media will never report on the story again I'll have to start looking through court documents yeah I've covered so many stories that are like super interesting and then when I look into it they never report how it resolved I Hope this guy gets the help he needs, but I also hope that he's in jail because I definitely wouldn't want this guy walking around my neighborhood and I don't even have kids. I still I still <laughs> I'm gonna take a stand on this podcast. I'm anti-baby strangling. Can't do it in my neighborhood. Or anyone else's for that matter. Cantilians, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carpenter copter we are leaving behind Odessa, Texas. Take us all the way out to Pakistan. <laughs> I found the story online. It was posted by someone who goes by the name Mayams. But this isn't her story directly. Her mother told her this story. Mayams' mother told her about something that happened a long time ago. The story seems to... A lot of times with these types of stories, I kind of have to piece stuff together. Um, they never directly said it took place in Pakistan. I had to look over multiple posts to find out where the location is. And the same thing with the timeline. I'm thinking it's sometime in the 1970s. We're in Pakistan. It's a huge country. I wasn't able to narrow it down any more than that. But we're in Pakistan. We're about to meet this family... From what I can gather, this was a fairly close-knit family because we have Mayam's mom, we'll call her June, and her cousin Sally. If they don't live in the same house, they live very close to each other because June and Sally are constantly interacting with each other. Now, Sally was a beautiful young lady, by all accounts. Not just beautiful on the outside, but beautiful on the inside. She was such a sweet girl, very kind. A very kind young soul. And Sally, she's in her mid-teens. She's between the ages of 15 and 16 when the story takes place. Well, one day, Sally went out to go visit one of her friends. She stayed a little later than she should have, but not super late. She's not coming home at like 1 in the morning or anything like that. She's coming home a bit after dusk. She's walking through the streets of town. She's headed back home, and it starts to rain It's not a huge storm, but it's raining enough that Sally decides to seek shelter underneath a tree. Hopefully the rain goes away quickly, Sally thought to herself. My house is just a couple blocks away, but I would prefer not to get wet. I'll just stay under this tree for a few minutes. Everything will be fine. Sally finally does make it home, and when she does, she's soaking wet. She's so wet you would think that she just stood out in the rain. She's dripping wet. She's exhausted. She walks in her home. She's shivering. She walks past her mom and her dad and just goes upstairs and goes right to bed. Okay, I hope she had fun at her friend's house, her parents say, and go about their business. When she came into the living room the next morning, her family could immediately tell something was different about her. Just the way she walked into the room, something was wrong. Now you're thinking maybe she got some bad news last night and she's upset, or maybe she's worried about something, maybe that. But even then, when you've spent 15, 16 years with somebody, especially when you're the parents raising them, you learn their body language. She walks into the room, they can immediately tell not that something's wrong, but something's off. With Sally. Sally almost immediately. Reveals to her family. That Sally. Is no longer here. What happens is there is a. jinn. A Djinn for lack of a better explanation. Because it's almost it's own topic. We've actually done several episodes on it. A jinn is the Islamic equivalent of a demon. That's barely accurate, but that's a good way, a good place to start. A jinn is a Islamic version of a demon. Sally begins to explain that he is a jinn, a male jinn, who saw this sweet, beautiful, kind young girl underneath a tree last night. And he instantly fell in love with her. In the Islamic tradition, there's also the belief, this is mentioned in several prophetic narrations, quote, when the wings of the night spread, keep your children in, for the devils come out at that time. And this is the belief that dusk, when the first part of night is what it's referred to, the first part of night is the most dangerous part of night to be out. If you have children, they should all be home in that first chunk late at night, you're fine. You can go play soccer at three in the morning, but that first chunk of night is extremely dangerous. There's also a mention, and this is disputed, I wasn't able to find a source for this, but I've seen it just anecdotally, that the most dangerous place to be after dark is underneath a tree, because that is where the devils dwell. Now, some sources said that's true. Other sources said, no, no, that's not actually part of the Islamic faith. But the fact of the matter is in this story that Sally was underneath the tree at the first part of night and this jinn in the tree saw her and took her over. And this jinn said, listen, I saw this beautiful girl underneath the tree. She is pure. She is righteous. She is so sweet. I want her for myself. And I'm going to have her. We're going to get married and she belongs to me now. And the djinn really is not trying to hide any of this stuff. Didn't try to go through a day-to-day routine pretending to be Sally. It's straight up like, nope, this is mine. And over time, her voice began to become deeper and more masculine. As if the djinn is gaining more and more power over the physical form of Sally. Sally. They're hoping she's still in there, because the djinn's still talking about owning her completely, not just her body, but her soul, everything about her. The family's begging him to leave. Just leave her daughter alone, just leave her daughter alone. (laughs) I don't think that would be a good tactic for a demon. They're not like, ah, you know what, I'm merciful today. They beg this djinn to leave her alone. He won't. He's still in possession of her body. They begin to bring in a mom's to try to... I don't know what the I don't know if it's called an exorcism in the Islamic faith, but again, for lack of a better term, that they bring in a mom's to try to get this jinn out of her, and he's like, "No, no, I'm just gonna chill in here. Like this body's mine. We, she was under a tree the first part of the night. Like what part of this do you not understand? I want her. I have her. I'm more powerful than she is. So that's that." And it wasn't just, you could say again, like at this point you could go, maybe she had a psychotic break. Maybe she was out there and her brain broke. Now she's just speaking in a deeper voice. It's called, it's called strep throat from being out in the rain. But unlike the first story where I think it's demonic just because he was strangling babies, that's a demonic act at the very least, Sally begins to perform Miracles. And this is something that June saw herself. June, the mother who's telling the story to her daughter, she goes, I I saw this stuff. What happened was, first off, she had the deep male voice, which you could you could totally chocolate it up to a sore throat. I think it was probably more than just sounding like she had a sore throat, but she had a deep masculine voice. She also spoke of things she shouldn't know of. Like she was living in this town in Pakistan, but she knew details about all sorts of things. Again, I mean, it's pre-internet, so there can be like, what's the definition of Tallywhacker? And she's like, hmm, let me turn around here. And she's like Googling stuff. She's like, a Tallywhacker is, I don't know what a Tallywhacker is either, but not like she could just Google it. She also talked about faraway places. She had never left this town. She had never left this town before. So she knew about events that she shouldn't know anything about. She knew of faraway places that she shouldn't know anything about but here's two interesting physical manifestations i found these really really interesting there was a stone oven in the house that it took four men to carry into the house and sally could pick it up herself like she has the she literally has the strength of four men and it wasn't like it was easy for those four men either it was a struggle for the four men she was able to move it herself This is fascinating to me. This last part is super fascinating. She could produce, really out of thin air, fruits and vegetables that not only were out of season, but weren't even available in that region. So that's a super interesting interesting ability, right? That is something that when you saw, you go, that would have to be demonic. Generally in demonic possessions, we do... Everything that is listed here is a sign of a demonic possession. They know languages they have no access to. They know information they have no access to. They're incredibly strong. That's another sign of a demonic possession. But the ability to produce fruit out of season and out of the region. Like, imagine if you were in Pakistan, it's, you're in the mid-1970s, and someone presents you with an eggplant, a ripe eggplant, a pineapple, you know, bring, she's juggling coconuts all of a sudden. That's fascinating because that would 100% be impossible. Lifting the stone oven would be impossible. If it took four strong men and then she's doing it, that's a feat of strength that is impossible. And then you also have the ability to manifest edible fruit. Would you eat that would be my question. At this point, you know your daughter's possessed by a djinn. Would you go, well, Fried eggplant. Fried eggplant. I did see it on a Gordon Ramsay show. Maybe I'll eat that. Like, would you? Fascinating. I don't eat vegetables anyway, so I wouldn't have to worry about it. Now, if you made a McRib appear when McRibs weren't being sold, uh, that's a tricky decision. This went on for almost an entire year. The families all gained a bunch of weight. They're like, oh, yes, make those Sundays appear again. The Jen's like, oh, man. I was trying to menace you with my magical powers, and now I've become a chef, and I'm making you desserts all the time. This goes on for nearly a year, until the family is finally able to get a hold of this very well-known and pious imam. Here's the plight of this family, and you would think, as a religious leader, you would be super interested in taking a crack at this. At first, you know, I'm sure priests, I'm sure bishops, archdiocese, and all that stuff, Get probably a phone call a month, if not every two weeks, about I think someone's possessed. I'm sure they get a lot of those, and you're probably super disappointed. You're like, oh, I'm sorry to tell you, uh, he just has just has crippling mental illness, and you're all walking away. Priest is walking away, wiping a tear away from his face. Why can't I find a real demonically possessed person? Guess I guess I'm gonna have to go to Odessa, Texas. You figure, like, at this point, he would have known about this. Other Imams would have been like, no, I'm pretty sure that this is an actual, authentic jinn possession. So this well-known Imam would have to be really wanting to see this. Like, he's heard from other people, I'm assuming, right? I'm I'm sure it would get around town, or get around the religious community, that there's a girl who can magically make fruit appear. That alone should make the weekly newspaper in town. The well-known Imam comes out and begins this ritual to get the djinn to leave the body of this young girl. He's reading from the Quran. He's praying. He has her drink Zamzam water, which I didn't know what that was. There is a miracle well. It's about 66 feet away from the Kaaba. This well appeared. It was, it was a miracle. It's a real well. It's, you can drink from it today. And this guy was giving her some of this Zamzam water. Finally... After all of these months, after all of these rituals, after all of this begging and pleading to leave the girl alone, finally the djinn is compelled to leave. And Sally is sitting there, staring at this a mom. She goes, who are you? The last thing she remembers is walking home from her friend's house and it's starting to rain. She remembers not wanting to get too wet, and she stood underneath a tree and Then she's sitting in a room looking at a man she's never met before. This a mom apparently, when he realized that she had no memory of the past, however many months it was almost a year. He tells the parents, "Don't tell her what happened," and they never did. Mayums, the person who posted the story, ends it with saying, no one in the family, we were all instructed to not tell Sally what had happened. She had no idea that she'd been possessed by a male djinn that wanted to marry her. At this point, she's gotten married. She's in her 60s now. Hey, actually, I could have figured that out. 15 minus 60, that's 5... Wait, huh? Wait, 15, 60 minus 15, so that's 5, turn that, wait, wait, that turned that into a 9, so that's 4, take away 1, that's 5, that's 44, She's she, so 44 years ago, so yeah, this story would have taken place back in the mid-1970s, I was right in my guess, so yeah, she's in her 60s now, she has a family of her own. She got married, had kids, probably has grandkids. And no one in the family ever told her about what happened. You would wonder if she would kind of she would kind of go back to school and they're like, you failed all your classes. She's like, what? I haven't even missed a day. Like, you f- figure she probably noticed that time had gone missing <laughs> unless she, they convinced the entire town. They're like, OK, everyone, set your calendars back. Everyone's like, yay, double birthdays this year. She probably may have known something was wrong. They could have said, Yeah, you were in a coma for a long time, or they probably would have just lied to her. And Mayums, when she was posting this online, she was because you know, then you start people start asking questions and she starts responding. Apparently, she wasn't supposed to tell she wasn't supposed to tell anyone this story either. But she got clarification, she just wasn't supposed to talk about it in Pakistan. They figured it would never get back to Sally. They go, it's not like a podcast. It's not like one of the top paranormal podcasts in the world is ever going to cover this on their show. What are the chances of Sally ever hearing this? But if you happen to be a 60 year old, if you happen to be a 60 year old woman from Pakistan who has a couple of kids right now, you might have been possessed in the 1970s. It's a crazy story because again. It highlights what I find creepy about all this stuff. It's, the, it's not just the losing control. Because this is one of my fears. It's not just the losing control. I think about it like this. And I, this is like one of my, honestly, top fears. I have been turned into something against my will, like getting turned into a statue or a tree or a bug with a human brain. If I was just a bug and I thought I was a bug, I wouldn't care. But if I remembered being Jason Carpenter and now I'm a beetle, That would drive me mad. Oddly enough, I wouldn't have a problem with my brain being put in like a cyborg. Because then I'd be Robocop and I'd be like stopping bad guys. But, like... (laughs) What am I supposed to do? Become a bug cop? (laughs) No one steal my idea for that movie. I'm making that movie. But... I also have a fear of sitting here. I'm sitting here. I'm recording this podcast for you. And then the next thing I know... I'm strapped down to a gurney and something's being injected into my neck. And then I find out like five months passed and I had some psychotic break and I murdered a bunch of people. And I'm on trial and I'm pretty much guilty. There's video footage of me. I stand in front of each security camera and go, it was me, Jason Garbiner, who murdered all those people. And I'll murder even more tonight. It'd be like that. Like, that is a fear of mine. Now, I've never had a psychotic break. I've never turned into a bug. But it doesn't make it... They're irrational fears. Like, imagine sitting there on your couch, and the next thing you know, you're covered in the blood of your loved ones. And you don't remember it at all. That's terrifying to me. Now, if I remembered it, I'm like, oh, sweet memories. I have a photo album. I'm like, oh, that's the time where I stabbed everyone to death. And here's video footage of me standing in front of a security camera. Oh, that was so funny. You could literally go from where you're at right now to you remember nothing for 50 minutes or five hours or 10 days or whatever it is. And then you come out of the psychotic break and you've done untold damage to yourself or others. Like, that is terrifying to me. That is so terrifying to me. The not remembering part does make it more horrific. Because then you just have, you're standing there and all of a sudden there's a bunch of cops around you. And you're like, why are you in my house? Why are you in my house? And they're like, well, you murdered your dad, dude. I'm like, what? No, my, dad's lived super, <laughs> my dad lives super far away and I don't even have a car. They're like, yeah. Well, you did manage to drive by every red light camera and go, I'm going to murder my dad tonight. We got tons of footage of it. Like you're just standing there all of a sudden you're in, basically you're in a different reality at that point, And you don't, you don't remember when it switched. You're sitting there drinking a diet Sprite. And the next thing you know, you're covered in blood. It's terrifying. That totally terrifies me. And that's, this story creeps me out. Really, because just demonic possession, I think, in general is spooky. But then you also have this... To me, Like, what made this story even creepier is she didn't even remember it. Like, She lost months of her life. Now, luckily, nothing bad happened, right? They got a bunch of fruit and vegetables. I mean, the worst thing is is that now they're going to have to go and buy fruit. I mean, that's the worst thing, right? And their stove's in a different location. They're like, uh, hey, before before you get this gin, leave your body. Do you think we can ever move the stove back? Nothing too bad happened. But then in the other story... The dude strangled two babies. The babies are totally fine, but, I mean, you know, he's still going to go to prison for attempted murder, and the inmates there are not going to be like, well, you know, the babies are fine, so we're not going to beat you up every single day. Does he even remember that? Did he just walk into that hospital with his girlfriend, and the next thing he knows, he's sitting in a jail cell, and he's like, what happened? What happened? And they're like, dude, you strangled two babies. Like, could you imagine being told that news? Absolutely terrifying. And the world of the paranormal is predatory. So two terrifying stories of what can happen if we... Well, you know what? These people didn't do anything wrong. I mean, okay, (laughs) the guy did kick in the door of a maternity ward, but I mean, like, what... If he was demonically possessed or even if he just had a run-of-the-mill psychotic break, what did he do wrong? It could have been the THC. Could have been the vape pen, right? But I mean... It could have just been he was in the wrong place at the wrong time and something attached itself to him. He was weaker than he should have been and something took control. That's possible. This other girl, she just stood underneath a tree. And she lost months of her life. It's a terrifying story. They're both terrifying stories that should remind us that sanity is not a given. Now, there are some faiths. I know... At Southern Baptist, we were taught that if you were protected, if you were born again Christian, then a demon could not possess you. That was your armor against it. Then you, My dad was a Southern Baptist minister, and whenever he would say that, whenever he'd talk about that, I always had the same question. Couldn't a demon possess some random person and that dude then murder me? Like, even if the demon can't possess me, it can possess someone else who is open to possession, and that guy could get a shotgun and shoot me in the face. I would always ask this same question to my father who has a doctorate in theology. I'd always say, if a demon can't possess me, can it possess someone else who would then kill me? I'd ask him the same question every time, and he'd give me the same answer every time. Yeah. That could absolutely happen. You may be safe from demonic possession. But you are never truly protected from demonic influence. radio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. Dead radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great day.